Hey friends, thanks for listening to the Axiom Podcast. Um, We're a community centered around experiencing Jesus together and practicing his ways as a community. Uh, We like to say in Peoria as it is in heaven. Um, So this podcast is just space for discussion and exploring um, ideas and principles of the kingdom and also where we post uh, our sermons from Sunday gatherings. So um, please engage us online and uh, hope you enjoy this episode. to get sunburned up in the mountains, which is like, you know, kind of a tragedy. Um, going up and, uh, and traveling and things like that, though, being around my parents, it's, uh, it's a good reminder for me of where I have been. Um, it reminds me of the past, right? I went on a lot of camping trips with my parents uh, growing up. We didn't have a lot of money when I was a kid. And so instead of going to things like Disneyland or any, any place like that, we would go and go camping. Anybody uh, campers in this room? Any fans of camping? Okay, a few people here or there. Um, we, <laughs> we would go up and stay. Uh, and my dad, he was just like, he, was, he loved the mountains. He loved the wilderness, the front. He liked being that kind of like manly man who was going out there and he was going to go fishing. He's going to chop wood and set up a tent and all that kind of thing. One of the best memories that I have from those times was my dad was actually a pretty good storyteller. He would tell stories when we were gathered around the campfire or getting ready to go to bed. And when I was a child, my favorite stories that he would tell involved a character that he uh, <laughs> uncreatively called Derek. So my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at Axiom. If we haven't met, I'd love to meet. But he would call the main character of these stories Derek, right? And then my brother's name is Carl, and he had, I forget what he called my brother's character in these stories, but it sounded like Carl, okay? So Derek was one of the main characters in these stories, and the stories would often involve things that had just happened that day or had happened over the course of our trip. And so as I gathered around the fire with my father to listen to the stories of Derek, I would know a little bit about what was probably coming, right? But I would listen with eager anticipation as my dad recounted not only what had happened, but what that meant for the future, right? So he would project in these stories, what was going to happen next. And there was something very adventurous and exciting about that for me in a very particular way because I knew that I was part of that story, right? Even though the name of the main character was Derek, I still knew that it was essentially about me, that I was connected to that story. I think most people like stories, Most human beings enjoy a good story, a good yarn, a tale, whether it be true or whether it be false, because stories don't have to be fiction, right? Stories are sometimes fact as well. We just celebrated the 4th of July in the United States. The founding of the United States of America, it's an interesting story. It's a story that if you've grown up in this country, you probably know the gist of, right? You've heard the tale told over and over again. And as a child growing up, going to school, you were invited to imagine yourself as a part of that story, the American story, right? 
Regularly, we talk about the American story, the American dream in this country. There might be a story that you have for yourself, your family, because as I told you, my father, he had stories he liked to tell about our family. Maybe your family has a story. Maybe you're thinking of it right now to yourself. Oh, yeah, I know that story that my uncle always used to tell or my grandmother used to tell about our family. Stories help us contextualize our lives and experience in relationship to the world around us. Oftentimes, I find the moments where I feel the bleakest, the saddest, the most alone is where I can't understand how my story, how what's happening to me right now connects to anything. The moments I feel the most hopeless are when I don't understand. So it helps me to be able to know that my life is grounded in something with, which is beyond me, a bigger story. And so I already mentioned we have stories about our families that we tell, stories that connect us to family, to kin. We have stories that we tell among our friend groups. Oh, remember when we did this? Remember this? Remember that? And we have stories that we tell ourselves about our national identity, right? We tell the story of how our country was founded, right? We tell the story of what happened and how we got to where we are today, and in that sense, we're able to relate and connect to a bigger reality, something beyond us, and we get to contextualize our experience. Some of the biggest stories that people have ever told one another, though, are typically called religion, religious stories. Now, you'll remember I said that story doesn't make something false. In fact, some of the biggest stories we tell are often true stories. The most helpful stories we tell are true stories. And so, if a, the national story of the United States helps contextualize us in our American experience, our localized national experience, a religious story helps contextualize our experience within a cosmic story. Something that's happening beyond just our nation, and helps ground us in a greater reality, connected to something that a lot of people call God. What is God, the founder, the creator of all things, as Christians understand it? Different religions have different ways of talking about what this creating force is, but Christians have a very definite way for talking about who God is, because Christians believe that God isn't just an impersonal force that created all things, but is actually a highly personal and relational being who desired to have relationship with those He created, specifically human beings who He created in His image and likeness. And so Christians, the way that we, the story we tell ourselves involves that story, the story of God and God's creation of the universe. And beyond that, Christians believe that God also entered into that creation as a man named Jesus Christ who lived, died, and rose again. And through God's entering into our human experience, human beings can rest in the assurance that God is going to give them 
life eternal, that death is not something that is going to bind us or trap us, that we are not finalized at death, but rather there is more life beyond. And so me standing here today, the story that I contextualize myself and the way that I understand my experience is grounded in that story. In Christianity, we often talk about things like testimonies. The testimony is the story that we tell ourselves, where we connect the dots of our lives with the story of God and His work in creation. We'll talk about how the things that seemed random in your life actually have meaning and purpose and value because you understand them in relationship to the greater story of God. Stories matter. And they mattered to the early church. The church being the, the, the community of people that Jesus founded when, after he died and rose from the dead. Last week, we we talked about an individual named Stephen. Eric shared that with you. The other Eric, not this Eric. We talked about one of these early Christians named Stephen. And today, we're going to be talking more about Stephen. Because when we left Stephen, he had gathered a crowd of individuals who were hostile towards him, who weren't liking the things that he was saying. And what we're going to see today is the beginning of a story that Stephen begins to tell these people. Now, the individuals gathered around him were in a place that we know today as Israel. The individuals were Jewish individuals. They had a very specific story that they told about their people, about where they came from, how their nation was formed, and how they as people related to God. And what Stephen is going to be first trying to do today is connect to that story because the story he's going to tell is the story of origin, of how these people, the Jewish people who he's talking to, how they first relate to God, right? But he's not just going to stop there. Because in his story, he wants to make sure it's understood that the things that they expect about God, the things that they thought God were going to be, was going to be, it's very different than what they assumed God was going to be. The story he tells is one of a God who is in some ways disruptive. The thing that happens, why I share with you the idea of story and about the bigger stories that we connect ourselves to is because when we allow ourselves to be taken in by a greater story than our own, the truth of the matter is the things we thought we understood about our life do get disrupted. And that can be an uncomfortable experience. So as we enter into this passage here that we're about to read, I want us to keep that in mind. 
The idea that the story that you think you know about your life might get disrupted by the story of God. That your story belongs with God's story. But God might see something more to your story than you ever had before. And the reason why, as Eric discussed last week, that Stephen is going to get turned on here is because he poses that possibility that the story that you think you know might not quite be what you thought it was. So we're going to dive in here, starting in chapter 7, verse 1. Now, we'll remember last week that Stephen was a man full of God's grace and power, and that he was outperforming great wonders and signs among the people. But the opposition arose amongst the leaders of the people, the scribes, the religious order. They began to argue with Stephen. But even though they argued, they could not stand up against the wisdom, the Spirit, that is the Spirit of God, had given him as he spoke. So the leaders stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin, which was the kind of religious, the main religious institution that was not only uh, religious, but it was like the place of, uh, 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 of community leadership at the time. They produced false witness, and they, te- they produced false witness, and they testified that this fellow, that is Stephen, never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth, that is God in the world, Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw his face was like the face of an angel. And then we get to where we are today. In response, the high priest that is kind of the main guy, the boss man, asked Stephen, are these charges true? So the people are frustrated. They feel like Stephen is beginning to suggest that the things that they hold dear, the things about their story and their identity that they hold dear, Stephen is disrupting them pretty radically. He's pointing to the big story to which they thought they belonged to and saying, there's something else here. I'll read a verse, it won't appear on the screen, but I'll read it again from chapter 6, verse 14. We have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Now, the Jewish people believed in in God, in a creator God, a God who created the universe. And Stephen himself would have said that he believed in that God too. The significant distinction that gets mentioned in that verse that I just read, though, is the Jesus of Nazareth part. See, the Jewish people, the religious order of the time, had recently been part of folks who crucified 
killed Jesus. And Jesus rose from the dead. But they did not believe that Jesus was God. It wasn't obvious to them that that was the case. And yet for Stephen, it was. And so they accuse him of wanting to disrupt all the customs that they had handed down to destroy the religious order and institution, the religious story that they had been telling. And Stephen's response then to the question of the high priest, the boss man, are these charges true? Stephen's response is to tell a story. For the people at the time, the listeners, it would have been the story because it encapsulated their culture, their nation, and their religion. It was the story of God and God's work in the life of the Jewish people. We pick up at verse 2. To this he, Stephen, replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was in Mesopotamia, before he went to Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even enough ground to set his foot on. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at the time, of Ab- at the time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way. For 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said. And afterward, they will come out of, this, of that country and worship me in, that, in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. And Abraham began, became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our ancestors could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was, a, there was grain in Egypt, he sent our forefathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told, him, told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent, sent for his father, Jacob, and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and our ancestors died. Their bodies were brought back in Sechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamor at Sechem for a certain sum of money. Woo! 
There is a lot happening there. And friends, I'm not even going to begin to try to walk through every bit in detail that is described by Stephen in the story. What I want to say is that everybody listening to him at that moment would have understood. They would have understood who Abraham was, what it meant to be, to say that he was our father. They would have understood who the Chaldeans were. They would have understood who Isaac and Jacob were. They would have understood the story of Egypt and who the patriarchs were and who Joseph was in relationship to them. They would have understood all of those things. Now, in future weeks, we're going to see the end of the story that Stephen is telling here and where he is leading it to. But spoiler alert, it's going to end with Jesus. And it's going to end with anger and bitterness and death for the teller of this story. So why is Stephen telling the story that everybody knows? Because I think he wants to show them that the story that they thought they knew wasn't quite finished. That it's pointing and leading to something bigger than what they thought. That the God who they remember as working and living in the lives of people in the past is also a God who is active, living, and working in the present and had something for them in that present, in that time. The fact that Stephen focuses on an individual like Abraham and it individual like Joseph is also telling to where the story is going. Abraham is a man whose life, whose story is disrupted. He's told to leave your country and your people and go to a land I will show you. And yet, though God promised him and all of his descendants that they would possess the land, at the time Abraham had no child. At the time, he had no inheritance, not even ground to set his foot on. His story was disrupted by the story of God and God's purpose for his life. And we jump on ahead and we meet somebody named Joseph. Who was sold as a slave into Egypt. Now, you don't have to know who the patriarchs are to know that getting sold as a slave into another country that is not your home, that would disrupt the story of your life. And yet we see that that disruption had purpose in God's greater story. That through Joseph, he is able to save his old, whole family when famine comes to their home. 
we are seeing at the beginning here that Stephen is pointing to a story beyond just the standard setup that the Jewish people think that they know. He is preparing them for the possibility that God is going to disrupt their story for His purpose. And as we sit here listening to the front end of a much longer story that Stephen is going to tell, we might want to start asking our own selves, what disruption might God bring your way? We've already addressed this idea that we all have stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves, about who we are. We might even tell ourselves stories about what we think God needs to be in our lives. It's not, but at the end of the day, it's not your story. God is not your Obi-Wan Kenobi for your Luke Skywalker. You are not the hero. This is God's story. Is the story of Jesus coming into the world. And as the Jewish people are going to be reminded of, that story takes precedent. The things, the plans that we think we have for our lives, the story that we tell ourselves about what our lives should be, are drawn in to God's story. And they become reconceptualized. My invitation to you today is to think about your story, the story that you tell yourself about yourself, and to maybe have a conversation with God about how you can soften your heart and make yourself open to the story that God might want to tell. about the story that God might be inviting you into now. That you wouldn't be like the listeners here with Stephen who are just looking for a fight. That they're frustrated by the idea that their story, the story that they have might not be the story or that it might be different than they had ever imagined. My prayer for you this morning is that you would have a heart to receive from God what His story really is. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I want to I thank you for the gift of your word that's spoken here through the book of Acts. I want to thank you for Stephen the ministry, the brief, the meaningful ministry that he had, Lord. And I want to pray that we would all have the heart, heart to be vulnerable with you, with our story, to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear where you are leading us. 
what story you are leading us into so we might participate more fully in the work that you're doing in the story that you're writing that you are authoring even now Lord may we not be resistant to it may we be open amen Our next, the next part of our worship here, it's a time that we call communion. It's intentionally set to be like a meal, a table that we come to together and we eat and we drink. In the Christian story, this man named Jesus who was God, he had friends, he had loved ones, he had family. And he ate, he drank, and he fellowshiped. So we think here at Axiom, if we want to be like Jesus, we need to do the same. We need to eat together. We need to drink together. Because Jesus, the last night before he was betrayed and executed, he got together with his friends, and he ate and he drank. He held up bread. He said, this is my body take it in memory of me. And he held up the cup and said, this is my blood. Drink this in memory of me. When I'm gone, do these things in my memory. And so today, as part of our worship, we go up and we say, yes, we are going to remember the true story of God in the world, that he had a body that was broken, that he had blood that was spilled. And more than that, he rose from the dead and now offers us all everlasting life. And so whoever you are sitting here today, whether this is your first time or your hundredth time here at Axiom, we want to invite you to this table today. I'm about to read uh, some words here, um, but after I finish, I just want to invite you to come down these center aisles, come up to the table, take the cracker, dip it in the juice or the wine, and then go ahead and exit through the sides there and maybe if you feel led grab a couple people and take this communion with them because there's power in the gathering and of the taking of these elements of eating and drinking together so I would just encourage you if you feel comfortable don't do it alone all right. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is to be made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will those who want him should meet him here. So I want you to come to the table with me.